Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series. So, what happens when you leave director Wayne Jordan and screenwriter and actor Marco Halloran alone to record their own podcast? A really insightful, intelligent interview. That's what you get. So good, in fact, that we've broken it up into two parts. The first part we've called Part One, which you're listening to now. In this, Wayne and Mark discuss Wayne's version of Oedipus, which is currently in rehearsal and whose stage you can hear being hammered away in the background. They talk about the difficulty of clarity, redecorating the canon, and the commerce of classical studies. In part two, Wayne talks about revisions and collisions, reading his life backwards, what kind of actors he likes working with, and how they'll always be outsiders. Enjoy this podcast. Let us begin. Wayne Jordan, you are currently in rehearsals for Oedipus, um, which is going to go on as the Abbey production for the uh, for the Dublin Theatre Festival. Maybe you could tell us what brought you to this particular text? To Oedipus? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, there, are, there are kind of loads of roads that kind of meet together in it, but I, in terms of why I want to do it at the Abbey, or I'm doing it at the Abbey, I guess, um, when, I, when I first started working in the Abbey, I did um, a load of kind of Irishy things very early on, which had not really been, I really enjoy doing, um, um, I did a play called Christ Delivers, which is about kind of industrial schools in the 50s and um, a play called, um, oh, Plan Stars, which is about, you know, the founding myths of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never really thought I would make plays like that or about <coughs> that. And I think a lot of the reasons why I made those plays had to do with my relationship or uh, kind of developed through conversations with Fiat McNeil, the artistic director here, particularly because of his interest in kind of politics in Ireland and and I certainly, in all the work, I'd, uh, even in Project, when I first began, I was making plays with a lot of people in them. I was really interested in kind of ideas about community and stuff. So when I was making those plays, I, I kind of felt how would... The, I was really interested in finding a link to to a kind of a, a canon of work that, 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 that was more me or that like more related to the work I'd been doing before I came to work at the Abbey, but that also kind of carried forth the themes and ideas of citizenship and public life in Ireland and, and, and so on. Um, so at that point, um, with Aideen Howard and a number of other people, I was working on uh, Yeats texts, like Yeats plays, and um, uh, which I was really interested in. I was really interested in the kind of formal, like Yeats writes all these plays that, that, that have all these kind of really quite strange formal demands for Irish plays. They don't have necessarily always a clear narrative. There's often a lot of dancing and music in them. They're very short uh, and, and, and kind of magical. Um, and uh, I had always known that Oedip- um, Yeats had written a version of Oedipus, but it was it was through that kind of a, a series of readings and so on that I, that I started reading his Oedipus and also became aware of uh, his Oedipus is a text that was a reaction to the civil war and to the, the early founding of the state. Um, and I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting because um, Oedipus was probably the first play that I ever read from start to finish without stopping and that I kind of really understood. Now, I'd really enjoyed plays in school like King Lear and, and, and things that I'd done, but I kind of enjoyed characters and language and stuff. I hadn't really read a play. Like, and this was when? When I was like 17, 16, 17. 
So I read uh, Oedipus. I did a, a subject called classical studies. Um, I took it up because I didn't like business studies, so I, I did that instead <laughs> um, because I was very precocious. It had a lot of effect on your life. It did have a lot. It had a huge effect on my life. You need more commerce in your life, possibly. Uh, not <laughs> I probably do need more commerce in my life, but classical studies had a huge effect on my life. And, 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 and you know, when I went to study theatre in Trinity and then made it my career, it really stood to me. But I, uh, So I read that play and um, although at the time it was really the playwriting, like the form of it that I was... Um, arrested by the fact that the kind of searing um, sense of kind of interrogation and direction um, in it. And uh, so, and I also really, I just have, I've, I've, I've always had a kind of, not an affinity with the Greeks, that sounds kind of, but uh, I've always enjoyed the form of, of Greek plays. I've been really interested in choruses and uh over the last couple of years, uh, I've had the privilege of teaching uh, Greek projects in the Lear, which is the drama mm-hmm. school. So I've been working a lot with choruses and I was thinking about a p- trying to make a play, a play about citizenship, I guess, in some sort of way. And Oedipus, for me, although obviously lots of, everybody knows it's about a man who has been married to and slept with his mother and had children with her and killed his father. Mostly they know about the mother bit. That's the bit they're mostly yeah. attracted to. In a way, although that is definitely in the play, um, it's not really what I think the play is about. I mm-hmm. think the play is about a, a city of people who desperately want change but really don't want to do anything to change it themselves. And that felt kind of familiar and important. Um, and also it's a play about kind of scapegoating. It's not really about scapegoating. It is a scapegoating. I think it was written at a time when people didn't always understand that the vict- that victims weren't necessarily responsible for their own victimhood you know um, and uh, I, th- I think they were it, it feels like it's a bit like going back to the first principles of drama and even how to live together like kind of civilization. and so it feels like the, you know they've all just stopped being like monkeys about like two generations ago and they're figuring out how to live together and we haven't necessarily changed all that much so they were, uh, uh, that's a kind of miasmic way of describing the way, reasons I came to doing it. And what are what what kind of challenges did, I mean, because you adapted it yourself. I did, yeah. And what kind of challenges, like, I, there's one thing that I would, for instance, notice is like, there's a lot of talk about the gods or yeah. within Greek drama that's, for a modern audience, somehow jars because we live in what we accept to be a secular world now. Yeah. And does that, although it's ridiculous, it's only the, I suppose, the Western world that is a secular world. But uh, do you find but, that I mean, it's I, a difficulty? I think even, I think even, you and I and people we know uh, maybe don't have so much religion near our lives, but I think a lot of people in Ireland still have. But it's not that kind of religion, actually, that this play is about. It's something much more kind of... Um, it, it's a religion that's that's right at the heart of all politics and ways of being. Um, it has been interesting and strange to do. My feeling about the play is that is that the play is a play that smells or senses or is cracking open with the idea that God might not exist. Mm. But it never says it. And in the end, it reifies the idea that the gods do exist. But it has posed the question. And once that question is posed, it's infectious, you know. Um, so I think the play is actually about doubt rather than faith. However, it's a play about doubt set in a world... F- full of deep faith or at least people clinging to I mean the play is, is so much about what does anything mean all our it's it's centering a plague and everybody's families have died and they don't know whether they're going to 
all die or, or what's going to happen and, and they're like what is what does anything mean anymore and over the course of the play Jocasta and Oedipus even begin to think well prophecy doesn't mean anything and maybe the gods aren't there I mean they're never quite as explicit at that, as that but um, they say things really close to the edge of that and so uh, so I, I kind of feel like doubt is yeah it's, it's, it's kind of a, a play where got a kind of a, ra- a radical approach to theism mm. for the for the period or uh, radical questions are asked um it, it like there's this prophecy at the beginning of the play that kind of begins everything and 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 and, and it needs to be dealt with and there's the god apollo there in terms of like form in in my approach to making making an adaptation i've kind of limited the amount of gods that are mentioned and the ways in which they're spoken about in order for it to be simplified to mm. a degree for for a contemporary audience so we understand that there's a kind of uh, central commitment in the play to the, an idea of something above and beyond us and meaning above uh, and beyond but uh, but uh, and and to allow also for our own because you know the play is really really old it's like two and a half thousand years old and and the production we'll show on stage has people in modern clothes now it's not set today it it, it evokes now and then um, but in evoking now, it, it means that our ideas of God are present in it as well as ancient ideas mm-hmm. of God are present in it. And, and uh, I kind of float that about in order for people to kind of make their own meanings of it. it sounds kind of wishy-washy, but actually I, I, I'm kind of hoping the audience will be kind of um, enlivened to question something about the way that we believe now and the way that they believed then. Can I ask why you adapted it yourself? I mean, uh, people yeah. don't know you as a playwright but you I, I know you once told me that you see yourself almost primarily as a writer or you oh God, felt was I very drunk at the no, time no you weren't no you you said to me that, that or that you felt that, that it was a really really important part of your your creative life and I, I don't think people recognise you but you have written shows before I and have then written what, um, like, I, I don't, maybe, maybe what I meant at the time was that I would like it to be that Um all the work that I've done as a writer, no, not all of it. Much of the work I've done as a writer have been adaptations of things. So, so, so what I've done has I've adapted things to direct myself. So there's a kind of you know in directing a play, there's a kind of translation through time that's happening already. And when I sometimes do plays that are written in another language, I I try and do the translation of the language as well as the translation of the mise en scène and all of those things. Um, but but I guess. I did the adaptation. There are a lot of really great adaptations of of, of Oedipus. I, Yeats' approach to doing Oedipus, um, which I was very inspired by, was was that he he really really wanted every all of the language in this dense and complex play to be completely understandable to anybody who came off the street. In fact, he says in quotes that it's like people from the Blaskin Island should be able to understand it. I'm not all that sure that they could even understand English, but <laughs> you know that that he wanted uh, the language to be really, really simple and clear, and that he would walk out onto the stage here at the Abbey and say the lines to test them, to feel if they were complete and whole. And um, whilst I really admire and have quoted Yeats's version a couple of times in 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 in, in my version um, or referred to it, um, it, it is. It is like most adaptations, kind of old-fashioned now. An adaptation really only lasts for about fifteen years, and then it kind of stops being current in a way. Um, and um, stylistically, where would you have pitched it? I mean, well, what I was it certainly for isn't realism, or is no. Certainly... And what I what I wanted was something really simple. I wanted the language to be really, really simple. 
Um, and although there were versions that were more simple than others, none of them were quite on the bend of the play that I like it, the, the kink of them wasn't quite where I wanted mine to be. And so I paired and paired and paired and paired and paired and paired as much as I could to try and find the seam of the play and um, uh, and, and play it, you know. But actually, that's been very difficult in, in rehearsals. Um, it's been exciting, but it's it's hard to be simple, mm. like really hard to be simple um, and 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 clear and and it also you know there are a lot of the uh, uh there are a lot of challenges in 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 going well well is my clarity actually the clarity of the play the yeah. original play because although of course it's an adaptation of a play it's in a dialogue with sophocles well it is sophocles really but you know um it, it travels a little bit away from him in some places in order to communicate something that I want to communicate but but if it travels too far at any point it's very telling when you get up on the floor because you're like actually the play won't Go um, there. There's also a huge um, musical element to this. Would yeah. you describe it as a musical? I definitely would not describe it as okay, a musical. Okay, we won't describe it as a musical. No. So what would you uh, call it? It's a Greek tragedy and they sing in it, as they did in the original Greek tragedies, we believe. Um, they, they, so all the, all the choruses in it are sung. Um, and they're sung in as many as nine parts by a group of actors who could sing, but uh, who operate, I guess, not unlike a choir. Um, no, they operate exactly like a choir, um, and they and the music is influenced by, well, many things. But but there's a definite influence of kind of Western choral music, like mm-hmm. like Western classical and contemporary classical choral um, choral choral music and and church music in it. Um, and uh, I, we were looking for a way of um, interrogating the idea of what. Uh, being together or trying to speak as part of a community was and so the way in which the voices split into polyphony and quartets and quintets and ride over each other and are sometimes in harmonies and often in discord in this uh, very exciting music by Tom Lane um, but also very difficult music um, is, is is intended to be um, um, an exploration of, of what it means to be part of a community you know, so like a community that has a voice. Like, what mm. what does it mean to be part of the voice of a citizenship? You know, okay, um, and all of that in relation to a leader. Um, so it, it, it's not a musical in that it, the songs aren't really about feelings. Actually, they're about thought. Uh, although there's feeling in in the music, and also because it's following the form of the ancient Greek tragedy where the songs appear as opposed to following when somebody just needs to sing for an emotional reason. So it's not like an American musical. Or and did the text arrive first and, the, and then you worked with, with the, the, the composer is Tom Lane, is that yeah. correct? And, and so did you d- deliver a text to him and talk through ideas or, or was there an overlap? There was of- a little bit of overlap um, in that we worked, uh, I was working on the text and we needed to figure out a way. A lot of, like, so the courses aren't songs so they don't have verses and choruses like a song does and they also move through incredibly complicated thoughts <laughs> um, and so they need to be heard so they need to be heard uh, they need yes they need to be heard um, but also well even just to have all of those thoughts there is, is much longer and, and formally unlike a, a song you know a song that we would know a popular song certainly you know, and and in some you know and music uses refrains and repetitions in a way that that these were um, it was not possible to use in, in, in what I was writing originally. Actually, what I've even written. So um, 
a lot of the time I spent with Tom was about figuring out how to pare back my language enough so that musical time because musical time is longer than speaking time so mm-hmm. that it wouldn't take forever <laughs> to, to, to make it all the way through the things and also for me to come up with not necessarily lyrics but a but a but, but a, a, a yeah a verse like structure that, that that could be set to music um and uh, and and that was pared back enough so that he could expand he could expand musical ideas inside the language mm. um, because you can't have really dense language and really dense music at the same yeah. time because that's uh, well white on white it doesn't you can't hear either mm. um, actually it's been quite hard um, developing the music together with Tom to, to try and find or it was very hard for a long time and then one day it just kind of clicked so so the way in which my relationship with working with uh, my relationship with Tom changed. What I was writing was that was that originally there were a lot more words in the chorus, and I paired and paired and paired them back. But then that had an effect on the entire text because I started to pair and pair everything back. So, so there's that, a lot of changes going on within the rehearsal room and on the floor. Do you think? No, or? a lot of that happened. Um, no, the, the, I mean I've cut into the text while we've been and shaved it a little while we've been on the floor. But it was it, most of those. We were Tom and I were lucky to have a number of workshops. Uh, the first few were to actually to find the sound and to listen to what was going on in the play and how we could work on it. I worked from a literal translation that I got made by a guy called Michael Lloyd, a, a professor in UCD, and he came and talked to us for a couple of days about how music would have worked in the original uh, or how they think music would have worked in the original Greek tragedies. Um, so that set us off thinking for a bit and we went away to Anna McCarrick a few times and stared mm. at each other in silence. In horror, going, we have a show to do. <laughs> Trying show. to figure out how to, how to do it. And, 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 you know, there were difficulties in, in, in trying to just figure out and, and to combine our two perspectives on the thing because Tom mm. wanted to create music that um, felt like what we thought the play was but at the same time I needed him to communicate the text so uh, and even still until we get it on the stage it'll be unclear how clear some of it is however the music is really really um, exciting and and hard very challenging mm. I actually think the production might be quite challenging um, okay. but I'm excited about that uh, in lots of ways the biggest challenge for me has been to not be witty or charming in the well, I flatter myself. <laughs> um, I flatter myself intensely. You're so charming in rehearsals, but uh, not 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 about charming in rehearsals, but in in language. Like the yeah. the, the things that I have written, were like uh, um, that that are known are a show called Everybody Loves Sylvia, which is a version of Marvo, which was basically a comedy that strung a lot of song titles together, and a musical called Elementary Jones about like Dublin housewives and a and a, a, a pyramid scheme. So to to try and write something that really has absolutely no gags at all and, there, and, there and is, 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 is severe like and, and asks uh, difficult and severe searing questions of who we are uh, mm. it, it, like to, 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 to try and pare away Do you think that you there know? is you know I, I think your career in a very short time has had quite a large impact I think on theatrical life here in Ireland mm-hmm. and people think they recognise a Jordan style yeah. Is it something that you recognise yourself? Um, yeah. How would you describe it? Colourful. <laughs> yeah. I think it's colourful and playful and fun. I like to think it's intelligent and um, uh, revisionist um, and that I, the, the, I shed light into the corners of the canon Sometimes in very famous plays, but I'm but I'm looking necessarily. I'm not always looking where people have usually looked in those plays. Um, 
I think it's kind of queer, but I don't necessarily mean that in like gay. I think as in it looks at the bend in things and mm-hmm. looks at things slightly sideways um, and is interested in the grey. Although not grey, but the kind of, I guess, the technicolour bit in between black and white. <laughs> not everybody else sees that technicolour bit in between black and white, but I do. Um, and... Uh, I mean, it's, you certainly bring a, a pop sensibility at yeah. times to things. Yeah, I'm always. I mean, there have been phases like like when I did Christ Livers and Plow in the Stars. The work was very earthy. It was about kind of real materials, and um, and the, the work was very angry at Ireland in, in that or in the first few years that I that I was working here, and then uh, kind of from. Well, in my own work outside doing Everybody Live Sylvia and uh, Ella Menopy Jones and then moving into Alice in Wonderland and Twelfth Night and a, and a number of other things, it did become more kind of interested in, in, in pop and uh, and also in lightness. And I don't mean levity. I don't necessarily mean like... Um, I don't mean f- like uh, facetiousness or anything, but mm. in, in, in possibility. So many Irish plays are about how awful life is and how we can, can't get anything done and you know and looking backwards in a way and I wanted to make work that was looking forwards I'm always interested uh, some people believe or commentators sometimes believe that if you play with with the idea with pop sensibilities mm-hmm. or if you play with colour that you're to be taken less seriously and I'm always confounded by that yeah no I, I do yeah. but then you're talking about well, I, I guess I'm going to say you're talking about deeply unimaginative people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who who find colour like well, they're threatened by colour. Mm. Look, like as a screaming queen, my entire life, people have wanted to not take me seriously because I've been interested in the things that that were uh, colourful, bright, aesthetic, uh, alive, musical, like uh, ornamental. Decorative. I mean, but then these are most of these things have been the engine of art, alongside, of course, um, anger and uh, intellectual rigor, and all of which I feel I have in spades and always have had. Um, I mean, there's nothing in in many of those instances. There's nothing you can do for people like that because what they want, and, and so many of those people want to see their idea of the world shown back to them as well, not my idea of the world, which they couldn't even imagine if they tried. Mm. <laughs> you know, so and and I can't not be who I am or see the things that I see in lots of ways, um, and that can be difficult and and frustrating actually. Uh, sometimes when the work is only seen at one level, you know. Mm. And you think actually, well, the surface of that's five miles deep, You'd like. Yeah. But um, but I mean, like different kinds of artists have always had those difficulties in, in engagement, and, and my work engages with audiences, like certainly, well, most of the time, um, but yeah. also, uh, you know, uh, and that's kind of where, and and I mean, it's not like I don't do well critically or anything, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. but. but uh, there but I'm, I'm, I've always yeah. been interested in that as a notion anyway, that, that yeah. if you if you play w- with tonalities within, you know, a, yeah. a, a production that you're somehow lessening things. And I always think it it opens something up and fools you into falling into the hole that is the play or whatever. You know what Completely, I mean? Completely. But also, you know, most of the great work that any, anyone admires does that. Mm. Um, it's just... Uh, People then come and see you do it with the things and they can't handle it because they want it to be only what they see. Like people really often come to all kinds of art and just want to see back what they expected in the first place and then get annoyed when they don't Mm. and blame the artists. When actually, if you've come to see art, surely you should 
be hoping the thing is asking questions of you. Mm. Um, that's what art should do. Do you think that with the, with Oedipus that you're stepping in a different direction, or do? You, yeah, do you... I, although it wasn't conscious in any kind of way. It was. I was really kind of, but 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 it certainly. I was actually saying this to the very lovely actor who's playing uh, Oedipus, Barry John O'Connor, who you know, because we I did Twelfth Night together with him. Uh, today, I was like, you know. I, so often I make these things and I like feel like I've dredged up my soul and I'm splaying guts and like pain all across the stage and people come and they just laugh hysterically <laughs> from start to end and I was like I wonder is it going to be the same but uh, but certainly this production is is very austere in its in the range of of, of what's visible on stage it's very uncolorful in fact um, so uh, and maybe but that felt just like a natural uh you know, a development, uh, and and also a, a a response to the a response to the play. Um, I mean, one thing that I've also been doing in my work uh, is 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 kind of reducing the amount of things on stage, uh, in order that we could really really hear what's actually there. The playing with tonalities, or the or the or, or the strange, the strangenesses that are actually in plays that we think we know, um, and so this is a furthering of that. But there's much less colour there, I guess. Okay. Or, or at least the colour is, it, it's a different kind of colour. Um, what, what kind of colour is it if it's different? Dark, obsidian. Oh. Mm. You know, it's just really like looking into a black mirror. Oh, wow. I hope so. You know, I really want, I really, I feel it's kind of minimalist. Like in, and what I mean by that is not like the way my mother feels about minimalism. I love minimalism, I've loads of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, rather, <laughs> but rather that... It it reflects back on the audience, like the meaning is it reflect it like like when you go to see minimalist art and there's only so much in the room and so it, you have to go well who am I looking at this thing rather than what is this thing before me? I and suppose I, the danger with with something when you're pairing something back yeah. to its bones is that you get there and you realise there's no bones, you yeah. know that there's nothing there or you know did, did uh, I don't feel like that okay. at, at the uh, in this <laughs> no, I feel like it's deeply mysterious to me. Mm. What it feels, it feels like a in the way that Becca feels mysterious to me. Mm. What I mean by mysterious is not kind of like a thriller, but rather that there's something behind, way but be, not way behind, but something throbbing or quivering behind any, if not the surface, but any layer I can peel back. There's always mm. something behind it that I can't completely know, but that my mind is opening to when I look at the play, and that 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 feels that I'm becoming. Uh, I'm 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 awakening to knowledge in some sort of way in front of the play. I think Beckett said something along these lines that he wanted to punch hole in, holes in language to see what was underneath. Yeah, which I just think, which is exactly what you get when you read his material. It 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 upends you in a way. Yeah, and I feel that this play. I mean, people often talk of Sophocles as a conservative or a religious conservative. I mean, maybe he was. The thing is, Sophocles is so long gone. And it's arrived to me through so many versions that what I'm doing is playing with a kind of cultural object rather than a writer's object now. And um, I, I feel that uh, that the play asks really, really terrifying questions and that they're not in the script. <laughs> they're just behind mm. it all the time. Maybe that's brought to bear in the music because the music is it's impossible to talk about what the music sounds like. It sounds so inexplicable and so ineffable. Mm. The music of this play, yeah, um, and so maybe we kind of are mediums for that in, in through the kind of singing that they do. Did you, when you were when you were growing up, did you think, did you ever think that this was the type of play you'd be doing, for instance? 
certainly when I was uh, like in my late teens and early 20s when I first started making plays I was making a lot of very dark plays in which there were a lot of suicides and um, trauma Uh, so yeah to some degree but I also always thought that I would make musicals (laughs) and the other things that I made (laughs) like uh, you know I'm I'm a full human, like all, mm. w- w- to whom all the range of experience is open, and who I like to include all of that range in a lot of my work, um, often for as long as three hours, <laughs> you know, and more, <laughs> and more. Um, uh, but I love a long play. Everyone yeah. does. Yeah, <laughs> um, you get your value for money. You get your value for money. Uh, so uh, to that extent, I thought I would make lots of different kinds of things. Um, one thing that I knew when I left college. Um, and and was cer- was certain that I wanted to be a theatre maker was that I, I I knew that I wanted to make I wanted to be engaging with the classics and it just sounds kind of like it wasn't really to get the cla- cachet of them or something but that I wanted to take my sensibility into toward the centre of culture mm. and kind of play with the centre of culture in that way as opposed to I wanted to show the classics because I felt that they were um, good for people. You know, mm. um, I don't not necessarily think that they aren't. I mean, but uh, what I wanted to do was go into the canon and and, and mess around in it, wreck it, wreck. Well, redecorate it, shall yeah. we say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so that, so like, and certainly the last few years that has been my project, like in doing Twelfth Night, Romeo and Juliet, um, the Sean O'Casey, maybe a little bit that to a lesser degree because it's a bit, it's a bit later. Um, but and 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 Oedipus, and even in my work uh, with students, I, I I do a lot of work with these kind of plays. So um, actually, interestingly enough, I kind of feel like I might be coming to a new period in a way that that, that I'll take the influence of that and make newer work. Mm. Um, but uh, so so uh, work that was kind of full of playful and dynamic engagements with our. With European cultural history was definitely what I thought I wanted to do when I left university, and that is what I'm doing. Thanks for listening to part one. Stay tuned for part two, which will be broadcast October 1st.